everybody, it's David Wernch. Welcome to the very first episode of the Authentic Dad Podcast, where I support fathers in having a greater impact in their life and particularly their relationships. So glad you're listening. So glad you can join me. Theme music by Isaac Leary. Isaac underscore Lurie underscore official at Instagram. Lurie is spelled L-O-U-R-I-E. Isaac is this amazing musician out of Atlanta, Georgia. And he also happens to be my nephew. So please, please don't hold that against him. He's a really good guy. And he's really talented. Thank you so much, Isaac. Love you, buddy. Today, I interviewed Dr. Tova Rubin. Really cool conversation. She wrote a book. It's actually a great book. I don't say that lightly because I read so many self-help books. And this one, so practical, so concise, so helpful. And it really gets to the point. And you can, it's available on Amazon. Dr. Tova Rubin was amazing. We talked on a wide range of topics, including parenting and parenting during COVID-19 and living your best life and all of these other nuggets of wisdom that I hope you find useful. Really cool. We just kind of hit record and let it rip. And I think it turned out pretty, pretty good. Still getting used to all of the vocal quirks and the microphone and this whole thing, but I hope you, I hope you get it. Is uh, might be a couple of little technical things there with with the Zoom, so excuse that. If you want to learn more about me, further dot coach is my website. F U R T H U R dot coach. I coach particularly fathers on again having more of an impact in the world, deeper connection with themselves, with their children, with their partners. You can reach out, have a conversation, say hi. Also on Instagram, further underscore coaching. Again, further is F-U-R-T-H-U-R. And believe it or not, I'm on TikTok. Lots of videos on TikTok. I'm told it's a thing. And that's uh, further coaching, F-U-R-T-H-U-R, coaching on TikTok. So thank you again. Without further ado, let's do this. See ya. So my first guest ever on the Authentic Dad podcast is Dr. Tova Rubin. She is a licensed clinical psychologist in private practice, and she graduated with distinction from the doctoral program at Vanderbilt. She served as a clinical faculty at the University of Texas, and now she's in DC area. She's in the faculty of George Washington University and an expert in the emerging field of positive psychology and has taught the science of positive psychology in the Honors College at University of Texas, San Antonio. And man, do we really need you in these times. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so thrilled and excited. Thank you for having me. And I'm honored to be your first guest. That's awesome. Um, well, interesting times we live in, huh? It's a, it's a crazy time. I, I, you and I have never seen anything like it. Our children have never seen anything like it. And our parents have never seen anything like it. And what is it? I mean, what is it like to be a therapist during, you know, one of the most unprecedented things we've had in hundreds, hundred years at least. You know, I, I think I talk to a lot of my colleagues, and it's been very challenging to um, not only deal with our own personal struggles with the pandemic, and then, right. you know, certainly for many, many weeks, almost every session was mostly about it, and um, mm. also 
the worst part is you don't get to do it face to face in person anymore. You're doing everything. Um, we're doing everything virtually. And so there's just a different kind of energy that it takes out of you and doesn't really feed me the same way. Right. So um, I struggle with a different kind of fatigue. Um, but I'm also very, um, like, I've learned a lot and I'm happy that I can be there for my clients. And, and I've learned interesting things about them being having a window into their home. And so it, there is some silver lining to right. all of it as well. For sure. yeah, I, would, I would imagine, you, as you said, you don't have the intimacy of energy, but but right. you can see their kitchen. Maybe you can right. see their pets or their children in the background. I was going to say the cat or the you know the interruptions. Sometimes it's very hard to find privacy. More than one client have to drive around the corner and sit in their car, so that they don't worry about who in the house can hear them. You know, um, it's a challenge. It's tough. Oh, I, I can imagine that being a huge problem. Yeah even if no one's around you sort of worry can they hear what i'm saying in the other room right. just the I mean, sense of the sense of the safety of privacy that the office used to provide you know that's, but that's I, I still think you know the intimacy once you get going mm. especially if you have the visual i do have some clients who prefer phone right. um and uh i and and you know what and if that works for them that's great um but seeing someone is helpful in that for me right. i mean i would imagine that you know um seeing someone's facial expressions, their yeah. energy is really important. I know for me personally, and it's just my thing, I lock in better over the phone. I don't know why. I like to walk around and I yeah. can just really be paying more attention, but I do see the value in my therapist wanting to well, see my face. Well, what's funny is we're doing obviously uh, Mm -hmm. right now uh, right. It's, there's not going to be a visual component it's an auditory and what we do when we do our auditory is we actually because we deprive the visual we are way more tuned in mm -hmm. to a lot of the more nuanced parts of the voice and our voice carries so much information our intonation right. somebody's crack in the voice or the tears or the emotion coming through so in a way when you remove the visual maybe even for you you actually can hear so much more clearly I forgot to mention, this is really important. Tova yeah. wrote a book. I did. <laughs> so the book I is... just finished it. It's so exciting. It's the first book I've ever, I never thought I had a book in me. So I'm thrilled. So the book is called Wisdom from the Couch, a collection of life lessons from years of clinical practice. And it's amazing. And it's available oh, on Amazon. And what I love about it is that it's practical and you know you can read it in and probably an hour or two and then you can reread it because there's so much useful information in such um i don't want to say a small book but for me i don't have the time or attention to read 400 pages well it's a little book it fits in your purse i mean it's not a big book i wanted on purpose there are 40 essays and essay is i think an overstatement they're kind of more just little messages and then at the end of each one, there's a try this exercise where you kind of deepen your learning, a mantra suggested, um, yeah. which was your suggestion, David, because I had you yeah. be an early reader of my book. So thank you for that addition. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, I always found, and I've probably read more self-help books than I care to admit, <laughs> that I, I love the information when I read it and it's really mm -hmm. helpful. But after like a couple of weeks, I'm like, oh, it's not working anymore. And I think for me, reading it and having the knowledge and information isn't enough you actually have to practice it yeah 
yeah. do it because knowledge has a certain power, but applied knowledge is really the power. And I can read about weightlifting or I can actually lift the weights. What's going to give well, me most people know, you know, if you say, Oh, who raise your hand, who thinks exercise is important. Right? <laughs> but right. then when you say, well, okay, who actually exercises? What are the obstacles to you getting some exercise every day? And so I agree with you hundred percent. Like a lot of us know what we're supposed to do, what we're quote supposed to be what we should be doing exactly. but the yeah. the bridge between that and action you know um you know the stages of change that the famous uh research of prochaska and clementi about um the mm -hmm. stages of there's pre-contemplation contemplation preparation action and then kind of relapse and, and we're you know when we're trying to change and grow we have to be patient with ourselves and appreciate that there's a process to change, it's not just like, I know it so I can do it. Exactly, I, I'm gonna mess up the quote, but someone said, you know, if information was all we needed, then we all be, you know, multimillionaires, have six pack abs. <laughs> right. There's not a problem with information. You can no. Google whatever you want and it'll tell you, and it's probably really good information, but. Well, that's why I called the book Wisdom from the Couch. It's not knowledge and information. Right. You know, wisdom is something that um, takes that information and knowledge and kind of applies it in a meaningful way to life. Well, you have a chapter in here and it's cool. um, called Overfunctioning Means Doing More Than Our Share. And maybe it's important to spend some time on this because I want this to be relevant for, I mean, it's a podcast for fathers, but I also want it to be relevant for parents and parents are dealing with a lot, particularly if you have children who are, of a certain age, I'm hoping that that this will have some relevance and some help. So the chapter is called. Like David, over I would say that um, overfunctioning can happen at every age, but it okay. certainly begins when the child is young, um, and right. it can continue on through a lifetime. What do you? How would you define it? Like what? What is overfunctioning? It's not a so, term that I'm familiar with. Before I read, let me. Read, if I, if you don't mind, I, I'll just read the first paragraph. Please. Um, uh, overfunctioning means doing more than our share of what needs to get done. Often, overfunctioners are created in an environment of underfunctioners. It can be a result of childhood, uh, of a childhood of emotional neglect. Or let me read that sentence again. Okay, you can edit that. Okay. It can be a result of a childhood of emotional neglect or immature parents who put their own needs first. Parents can overfunction. So what, that's an explanation of why somebody would do right. it in the first place. But parents can overfunction by doing stuff for their kids that kids can and likely should do for themselves. The parent enjoys getting their child dressed so much that they keep doing it long after the child needs assistance. And then in the long term, this can actually have a crippling effect. So it starts with a parent maybe having an un having maybe their parent was under functioning right and then they sort of let's say compensate for that mm -hmm. and they are giving over functioning with their children do you, can you give like a concrete example of what that would look like oh, I, you know i see it all the time i actually have to fight it myself because i'm an yeah. over functioner so um you know so people do it for different reasons too so I might overfunction because I really, um, I like to be efficient and get things done fast and I don't right. like, and I can be a little impatient. So if a kid's trying to, if they're trying to organize their backpack and they're taking too mm -hmm. long, I, you know, my natural instinct, with, which I fight, is to just say, here, let me just do it. Throw their stuff in, put it and grab it. Right. And then I'm, and then I get to go because I want to get going. 
Now, um, that's not healthy for the child. There are a lot of really negative messages in that kind of behavior. Why? Um, Messages like, um, you're taking too long, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's criticism. It's a, inherent in that is like, you, you're you not doing this well enough. And um, at some, and some point, I would imagine that it's really just not the parent's job. This is your backpack, it's right. your stuff. This is for you, right? Right, absolutely. So, you know, other times it's a perfectionism. You know, the parent, the kid wants to flip the pancake. I remember mm-hmm. my daughter's wanting to got, get under it and she's just like, five years old and she says, can I flip it? And I knew she'd big, make a big mess. That right. happens not to be something I care that much about. But I have a lot of clients who come in and they say, you know, they, you know, my mom never let me, you know, use the scissors and cut things because I would cut outside the lines or their I'm, mom wouldn't let them flip the pancake because it would go off the burner and it would make a mess. I'm totally guilty of that. Just even this image of the head of my kid flipping the pancake. <laughs> I just still have another question about, because you're talking about tasks. Mm-hmm. Can you do it emotionally? So I find myself when my, I have two children, an 11 year old and a nine year old, especially during the pandemic, if they seem sad mm-hmm. or bored or angry, yeah. it breaks my heart and I don't <laughs> like it and I want to fix it. So uh-huh. I try my, which I know, you know, they're humans. As they get older, they're becoming more and more complicated humans, and it's important for them to be able to deal with their sadness, sit with it, understand Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Okay, so we'll go. Okay, so let me respond. Um, so uh, yes, uh, you know, emotional overfunctioning is a thing, mm-hmm. and that's what you're talking about. And and I think it is very often hard for parents, especially if they suffered a lot as a child in a mm-hmm. similar way, whatever's happening to their kid. Um, for them to want to protect their child from any pain and any kind of suffering. So if the kid said, Hey, let's go get ice cream or Hey, let me tell you a joke or something. And you know, it's, um, and (laughs) you think you're a great dad or a great mom. And then, you know, look, I made my kid happy. They were sad and I made them happy. And five years Um, from now they can't, you know, make a pancake or whatever. (laughs) Emotions serve a really important function in our life. Emotions give us information about our environment, what's going on. And our context, and if we don't know how to listen to that information, then we, um, if we just, uh, if we avoid it or are afraid of it or deny it, then we miss out on critical data that is um, going to help our relationships. So, no, I was just saying. I also started to realize that if, like, my daughter's sad, and I try to make her laugh, and that's cool, and that's funny, and it might, but there might be a part of that that could be dismissive of the sadness. Right? It's a hundred percent dismissive of the sad, not intentionally, obviously, right. but you know, instead, you know, what would it feel like to say um, to, and by the way, I have four kids. My son is 23 and my girls are uh, 13, 14, 16. Um, wow. And so, <laughs> and so to say, you know, I can see you're sad. Um, right. And then you don't, you, you say, you know, so, so there's all this really cool research that, when we name a feeling for someone or for ourselves, the uh, tension goes down in our body. Mm-hmm. Just the naming of it. Because people say, like, why does therapy work? If there's right. some magic. There's this thing about being witnessed and just and knowing your truth that is mm-hmm. extremely healthy. So for, for a kid saying, I'm sad, and then you say, and then you don't say, like, are you sad because of this or this or this or this, and give right. them the multiple choice. You could now if they don't, if they're not a talker, you know, every kid's different. Mm-hmm. You know, you could say you seem, or you could even say, You seem sad. Am I picking up on that right? 
mm-hmm. um, and give them a chance to correct it. They can say, well, no, I'm not sad. I'm just bored. Oh, okay. How is it to be bored? Right. And, you know? and connect with that boredom instead of trying to go somewhere else. And yeah. Then... And even maybe deepen it a little bit be like, what does bored feel like in your body? Right. What does bored feel like for you? Um, do you feel it like you could, you know, like when I'm bored, I kind of feel like a, yeah. like a, just like a potato on the couch. You know, what do you feel like when you're bored? You know, if they're young, if they're older, it's a little well, more sophisticated. As you know, during this time, there's a lot of boredom and my mm-hmm. son is about to start middle school and the schools are going virtual. And so there's a lot of sadness about that. And so what I've decided is to, as you said, just like, yeah it's really sad and it really sucks. And to sit yeah. with that instead of trying to be like, well, but here's the good news and blah, 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 And right. Hey, silver lining. Silver yeah. Lining. Yeah. No, but you know what also is really good about being bored. I mean, mm-hmm. we have a generation of, you know, really, um, keeping children way too busy and they have a lot mm-hmm. less time to, for creativity and even busy is even, and I'm holding up my phone yeah. and looking at it. Um, busy is also just keeping the mind occupied with looking at something and not just um, having no stimulation outside of whatever comes up. Uh, and there's just so much research that supports, especially for younger kids, that play, mm-hmm. that, that, that unstructured play is so important. And having to not do anything sometimes is okay. You know, as a parent, I used to be bothered if my kid wasn't doing anything. Like, of course. you're wasting your life. You could be learning to dance better. You could be creating something fun. You could be reading. But no, actually, sometimes just sitting. Um, because sometimes when we're not doing something outside, then we're doing something inside. Yeah, I don't remember. And maybe it's a generational thing. It probably is. I was talking to my wife about mm-hmm. that. I don't remember my parents worrying about a lot of the stuff entertaining you entertaining me (laughs) caring about entertaining me thinking about it put you know you should be doing i just don't maybe it's just my parents no i think it's generational like our i think our generation does think we're supposed to somehow keep our kids entertained Mm -hmm. um you know if your kid's bored you could say oh okay Mm -hmm. bored good luck with that so, I mean, there's, you know, but the screen time's still not an option right now. So, you know? so, so many questions. We'll start with, all right, how do you know? What are the signs? If I don't want to diagnose people, but if you are yeah. over-functioning, one, and then what do you do about it? Mm-hmm. And then I have mm-hmm. some other questions about the pan- pandemic yeah, yeah, and screen time and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think, by the way, I think that... Um, during this pandemic, we, we are spending a lot more time with our children if they still live with us. My son yeah. is, doesn't live with me right now. But, um, but yeah, we're spending way more time with our children. And so whatever parenting things we do right, maybe we're doing more of and whatever we do wrong, we're doing more of. But we're also more stressed and we have less yes. support and we have less relief. And so um, I think a lot of us are a little bit at our worst. I yes. hate to say it, but I know for myself, I really have to take my mindfulness way up and raise mm-hmm. my awareness. And my maybe lowest parenting moments have happened during this pandemic. Um, yeah. So I find myself I, I, going in and out. You know, it's like Tuesday was a win, Wednesday was horrible, <laughs> Thursday was okay. And I actually, I said to a friend of mine, um, I would give myself a B minus. Mm-hmm. And the reason is almost every day I'm to A to A plus, but my fails are F. <laughs> Right. And so they're so bad that they pull it all down. Like, to like, like when, hours. like when you're, when you go down, you're going way down. You're, you're all in. You, <laughs> I you, burn you it. Yeah. You're not a C minus. Right. Failure. I, yeah, there's door slamming. There's not nice things said. Yeah. I, I mean, I could totally see that about you. 
<laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, most of the time I really find it pretty manageable. And then I, something triggers me and, um, you know, it's a work in progress. And that's, in fact, the last chapter of my book is I'm still a work in progress mm -hmm. and we all are. So being gentle with ourselves and saying, and I'll get back to your overfunction question. I didn't yeah. forget, but, but just this idea of like, okay, today I really sucked and I did bad mm -hmm. things. Experience. But you know what? Um, I'm, I'm doing my best. I know I am. Yep. And I even um, made sure to apologize to my child um, very sincerely and said, you know, my behavior was inappropriate and unacceptable. Um, you know, I lost it. And, I, so, and I'm so sorry for that. A lot, of self -compassion, that. a lot of self-compassion. Self-compassion and owning my behavior and, you know, and accepting that I'm human and um, that I'm not going to be perfect. And it's a great lesson for kids to see because they're also not perfect. And this and is so really with, hard in normal times, but you have, yeah. you know, kids at the home. Mm -hmm. You're a lot of people, you, you in particular, I am, you're working from the home. Yeah. I'm also a, a divorced mom. So I, you know, mom. so I'm a single mom right now when my kids are with me. Yeah. So there's all of these complications. Yeah. And, and we can talk about this too. It's like, screen time is going to be more but what I right. but I struggle and I don't, your kids are older maybe it's not but my mm -hmm. kids nine. no nine, it's a big deal I because I've talked a lot of friends it's like when is too much too much when should I be concerned that there's like even like a compulsion here because if right. I can't get them and I'm like well there's part one one part of my brain says well you know they're going through a lot Mm -hmm. It's not it's reasonable to think they'd be on more screen time and then another right. part of my brain is like no This isn't <laughs> healthy and I'm trying to find the right balance between gluing a computer and iPad in front of their face and <laughs> Saying you know, you're just gonna have to get away from the computer for a while me and Take them on a bike ride, which I do but there's mm -hmm. so much time to fill There's so much and I think you know part of struggling as a parent is that there is no right answer. So there right. isn't. Screen time per day for a kid this age, there isn't a real answer because yes. also every kid is different and what they need. And for some mm. kids, screen time is stimulating and for some kids, screen time is calming and all that stuff. And for us, it's also a great yeah. babysitter. They're happy. We're happy. They're leaving us alone. Uh, you know, there is no perfect answer. I think it's going to be a constant tension, um, yeah. you know, but there's some, there's also, there's different kinds of screen time too. Right. Um, there's the TikTok where they're up and moving and dancing and making stuff. There's privacy settings on TikTok. You know, and there's also where they're playing FaceTiming friends. Um, and that's mm -hmm. their only social time since they can't physically be with their, their other friends. Good point. Um, so if you take that away, you're taking away their social time. They're yeah. even, you know, Netflix part. End of the time my kids are on a the screen, they are mm -hmm. sharing that screen with somebody outside mm -hmm. the home. Um, and, this, and, yeah. and that is important right now. And You're this ties in with what you have over-functioning, right? Because if you're a parent and you have the luxury to think about these things mm -hmm. and discuss them, that the over-functioning parent's going to what? Try to find the right answer. Or if they believe the kid is doing too much, they're going to try yeah. to fix it. 
<laughs> yeah. The overfunctioning parent, again, it depends why you're overfunctioning, but if you're overfunctioning because you, um, because you're uncomfortable with imperfection, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. then, you know, the real, you really need to hold yourself back and that's what I mean. Yeah. Let them mess up and, mm-hmm. you know, let them, um, flip the pancake badly and mm-hmm. tolerate it. And it's just important to breathe and say, it's really good for them to do it. You know, you have 20 failures before you have a success. And the only way to get to that success is to learn through those, those other experiences of approximation of doing it better. Um, so for that kind of overfunctioning, the job is the parents to um, manage their own discomfort. Right. right. So it's bigger than the pancake. It's about your, you know, this is mm-hmm. managing your own discomfort in other parts of your life because it's not just the pancake, I would think. It's not about you the pancake at order. all. You need control <laughs> and order. The pancake is just the symptom of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk, it's a pretty sophisticated idea, but everyone can get it when you say like, oh, they got divorced over taking the garbage out. And you say, no, right. they didn't. It wasn't about the process of who gets to decide what happens in this house, who has the power, who's the one who has to do stuff. Um, so the pro- process level is, um, what these things really mean about the relationship, about mm-hmm. who has power and control, who gets their needs met, who doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the content level, it seems like it's about a pancake, but it's right. not. You know, I give an example in the book about a, a marriage that ended over a pair of shoes, mm-hmm. um, but it really wasn't the pair of shoes. That's the content. What happened okay. is he became a vegan and she went out and bought a leather pair of shoes. And he said, that's disrespectful to me. That's the last straw. But mm. you know what she was saying in buying the pair of shoes is what? What was she saying? What you don't get to control saying? me. You don't get. You don't get. Right. Your value. You changed your values, but I didn't change my values, and and I don't want to feel like you're imposing this on me. I I need to be able to be me yeah, in I this can eat marriage. A steak and we can. Yeah, it's, you know. Exactly. It feels like authoritarian almost. Yeah. Like you decided to become a vegan and now I'm not allowed to buy these pair of shoes. So, mm. you know, um, it's important. And I, you know, I actually am a vegan, but my uh, husband was not. Yeah. And that was his, and that I, I never imposed it on him. Like that is my, and I didn't impose it on my children. You know, this is my decision for me. And I set boundaries that were comfortable for me and what I cook and, and what I deal with food and what we have in the house. Um, yeah. And then the children decided um, for themselves, several of them are vegan, several of them aren't. Um, well, you're right, you because know? you hear a lot of like, oh, they're fighting over the silverware. They're not fighting over the silverware. It's never it's, about it's, the small thing. It's much it's, deeper than that. There's no such thing as a small thing. When people say, oh, I wish we'd stop fighting. It's always over these stupid little things. Right. I always say, it's never stupid little things. That's the content. If you can take a moment and really look at it and get to the process level. So at over back to overfunctioning. Do you think like I was going to say, do you, do you think that's with relationships that parents have with children or is it, or do you think it's just all growing, relationships, all including relationships. the relationships with ourselves? Okay. Yes. Ooh, tell me all, about that. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if I uh, say it's no big deal, if I, so for me as an overfunctioner, mm-hmm. I tend to overfunction for other people. So if I'm by myself at home and the kids are with their dad, I'm not going to make myself a nice, big, delicious salad for dinner. But if they're at the house and I want them to eat a healthy meal, I have all the energy in the world to make them a big, delicious salad. So, mm-hmm. I need to mm-hmm. <laughs> have the ability to take as good care of myself as right. I do of them. So you, I could say, what's the big deal? I have a bowl of cereal for dinner. That's a small thing, but it's not a small thing. At the process level, this is about mm-hmm. me taking good care of myself. Right. And it's very important and big. So you can see, it, I could dismiss it as saying, well, I don't have the kids. I don't need to make a big meal. Right. But that's, that's the content. 
the process is, can I take as good care of myself as I do of others? Yeah, no, I've, I've you know, definitely noticed that about therapists that I've been to or just noticed that mm-hmm. a really good one will pick up on these subtle things. Like, you know, you know, David, you left right there. Why did you do that? And I'm like, really, mm-hmm. really? And, but it's, but, but there is <laughs> But it something. always means something more, always. Especially, it's weird, especially as therapists, it's very satisfying for us. Right. <laughs> I'm not in a sadistic way, but to know, like, we, to notice, my husband was telling one time around a group of therapist friends and we were talking and somebody said, you know, every single client I had today cried. Mm. And the rest of us was like, oh, that's amazing. And he's like, are you guys monsters? <laughs> you know? But, but uh-huh. we know that when someone cries, it means you've gotten to some truth and some deep moment and it's cathartic and meaningful and you know, right. you've know you touched something that matters, um, a truth. And so- right. Other, Otherwise you're just paying someone to have an expensive conversation. You know? Right, it's a life changer. It's a life changer. I say, I notice that I had a client who every time she, um, she said, did you get my check? Cause she mailed me her checks. I said, yeah, I got your check. I got it and put it in, you know? And so then I said, I said to her one time, what would it feel like not to ask me? Yeah. What would it feel like to just assume I got it? I get it every time you've never been late. And if, and if I didn't get it, I'd tell you probably. What right? would it feel like? Right. If I didn't get it, I'd tell you, I promise I would tell you. What would it feel like not to ask? She dealt with some like OCD type issues and uh-huh. the reassurance that she needed. And she said, oh, it would make me very uncomfortable. So what do you think that, what was that about? Well, it's about a lot of things, um, mm-hmm. you know, for sure about anxiety and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, and what does it mean not to have closure in life mm-hmm. in general? And, but what I, the point of it is that that little notice, we started seeing it in 50,000 ways in her life. Yes. And how it was taking up so much of her energy. And it was not, and if you could free up that energy, and it's Think the little thing. All the things you could do. Yeah. And it's the little thing and maybe the little shift that you didn't realize. You think it's something else. Oh, it's be- and it's that one thing. Right. And that opens up this huge. Right. Well, you know, if you have yeah. a. Cl- so, anyway, the process content thing. Let's go back to over functioning just because I don't mm-hmm. want to lose um, right. that. But, but in terms of this process versus content idea, the mm-hmm. over. As a parent, what's really important is to understand at the process level what it means to you. Um, when you overfunction, to slow it down enough to say like, okay, now I noticed my kid could have tied their shoe and I tied their shoe for them. Right. Um, so this is more my kind of thing where um, I want to get going. I don't want to be late. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're taking too long in my life instead of like, you know, the other And now you don't have anywhere to go. So exactly. Now some, things, no- <laughs> some things take care of themselves. Right. <laughs> Now the shoes are Velcro and slip-ons and all that stuff, but no, but you know, when I could notice that, that, um, over-functioning, um, in that area, I could notice it in lots of areas and Mm -hmm. I can, um, and what I do for myself when I'm over-functioning like that is I, I know that for me, you know, being late and time is an issue that I struggle with. And I know that breathing deeply and slowly gets me out of my fear brain mm-hmm. uh, into my, what I call clear brain. And okay. so I get, I can get myself calm and say to myself, you know, if we're five minutes late, nobody cares. It's more important for my kid to tie her own shoe. And I can stop myself now, most of the time, especially if I'm not hungry and tired and, you know, mm-hmm. depleted. Um, but during, during this pandemic, it's harder not to be depleted. And so you think it also like tying the shoe or doing the pancake. 
gives a parent, not you, not you per se, some type of validation, right? It's showing love, taking care of my kid, I'm a parent, and of course would, that's what I'm gonna do. I would I, say that's a third kind of overfunctioning. Mm-hmm. The parent who just mm-hmm. loves to be, I'm such a good mom or I'm right. such a good dad. I'm the dad who makes the lunch perfect every time. Exactly. I'm the dad who takes my kids on a bike ride and everyone in the neighborhood sees that it's me and I'm amazing. Um, and then, you know, that's not about your kid. That's about you. Right. That's about um, you. That's about your own validation. Yeah. Right. Needing to be seen a certain way. Um, and then the child then becomes an extension of you. And, um, right. you know, that's obviously not a healthy dynamic. Now, there's nothing wrong with being proud of being a really good parent. Mm-hmm. You know, there's but, a difference between um, why you're doing it in the first place, kind of. But tying the shoe doesn't make you a good parent. <laughs> right. Now, I, I would say the one area that I don't know that you want to get into all that is very, very tricky um, where you have a kid with special needs. And you, I remember my son learns very differently. And um, I remember going to like a brown bag when he, he went to a special mm-hmm. school. He um, has been diagnosed with dyslexia and dysgraphia and dis, dis, dis. I hate all the distances. But he, his brain is different. He doesn't really read and write easily. All those things have always been challenging for him, um, as well as other things related to learning in a traditional classroom. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying my question, I had this like my million dollar question. I went to this, my first brown bag at the school, the principal and a bunch of the special ed teachers. Well, everyone was a special ed teacher there. And I said, okay, this is my question. And I was so excited to finally get my answer. The question, have I built it up well, David? So <laughs> good. the question is, how do I know when he's just being lazy and doesn't want to do it? That's exactly when, the thing. Versus when he can't and I need to do this. That's exactly the question I was going to ask you. Everybody in the room, this is what they did when I asked that mm-hmm. question. They went, yep, that's the question. <laughs> that's the question. You know, there's, there's no answer. I, I thought it's you were going to say the answer is, oh, you'll know it when you see it. Uh, no, <laughs> but I, but I guess the not. opposite. Yeah. The opposite. It never quite feels, to me at least, mm-hmm. it never, I, you know, I just didn't know. And so sometimes I would push them too hard and sometimes mm-hmm. I would overfunction too much. And I was always, I'm, I was, and I'm still always straddling that mm-hmm. question. And I would say that for the same as screen time, we're just straddling this. And sometimes we're going to err in one direction and sometimes in the other, some parents err more in one than the other, right. but we're all, but they're because it's a moving target because sometimes they can do it. And yeah. sometimes they can't. Cause I imagine if you take it too far, then the child is not getting support that they actually need. And where's if it's I, an art. Right. <laughs> right, because like I said, there were things my son really couldn't, his brain couldn't do. And if I tried to force him, I mean, he had some fine motor things, but tying the shoe was a really serious issue. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, and we ended up really working around it with Velcro stuff for as long as we could. Um, and then just taking a long, long time to practice different parts of it. it might sound silly. Here's an example. Um, when he, he did a gap year in Portland, Oregon, and um, he was already... 18 years old, but, um, I knew that he needed extra support. Um, and he could do the gap year. He could go there and be independent, do all the things, but he would have to navigate the transportation in Portland. So we went two or three days early and, mm-hmm. um, we, we learned that how to do that together. So I taught him he, the first day I showed him where the buses were and what the card said and all this kind of stuff. And the first day I led, and then the next time 
I waited for him to say this way. And I said, yes or no, or you know this. And by day three, we went through it a couple of times and he could do it himself. And he needed that extra support and then he yeah. could function as well as anybody else. And you know, think, that's, that's scaffolding. That's not over-functioning. That's being super helpful, right? I think what's comforting about listening to you talk about this is that there aren't answers and everyone is hope, probably going through some form of this. And yeah. it's not a science and right. it's more of an art. So I just appreciate yes. hearing your perspective. It makes me feel like, oh, you're not alone. <laughs> you're Tova, not alone. Toba has a PhD and does this for a living. And she's like, I don't know. And she slammed the door on her teenager and said something not nice. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, hopefully people that listen to this will say, hey, you're not alone. This is really hard. But it also gives them something to pay attention to. Excuse right. me, I mean, am I over-functioning? You know? Right. And I think, you know, over-functioning <laughs> is very, very damaging if you do it on a mm. consistent basis. Um, you know, it gives kids all kinds of messages that are not helpful. I had a client who... Um, so I change, when I talk about clients, I always change the facts just enough that even yeah. if somebody knew the person. So this isn't okay. exactly what happened. So, okay. but um, <laughs> <laughs> their parent, um, you know, never let them do anything in the kitchen related to a knife. And it wasn't the safety issue. It was just that they weren't going to do it right. They couldn't cut the bagel right. Oh, they couldn't okay. chop the vegetable. You know, there's only one way to cut a tomato. Did you know that? Um, oh, wow. But this person grew up so lacking confidence that yeah. she ended up marrying somebody who was just as bossy and, and mm -hmm. I would say mean to her in a way and just always told her. And if they said, if somebody said to her, Hey, can you help make a salad? She was paralyzed. Mm. That's what she I, knew. She, she, because she was told her whole, with this over-functioning parent, you don't know how to do it right. So, so when, you know, if I said to her, when she said, how should I cut the tomatoes? I said, I don't care how you cut the tomatoes. <laughs> and she says, well, do you want them this, in squares or do you want them in slices? I said, any way you want. And she didn't even know how she wanted because she didn't want to be criticized. And, and another cool example of it's not really about cutting the tomatoes, right? There's something <laughs> exactly. It's not about the tomatoes. She felt that way about, and she underfunctioned professionally because she never felt like she, you know, could please a boss because she mm -hmm. she was just always just wanting to know how exactly. She would ask. They would. She would drive them crazy. She would ask so many questions. What do you want? Do you want this? Do you want me to do this way? Do you want yeah. to do this way? You know, whatever. Um, yeah, I was just, that, I'm just. I have this image of my head and my kids using a knife, and I. I don't. For me, it's never about how the tomato look I, i'm on the anxious spectrum of you're going to cut your finger off and right and you know things. what you yeah you still have to let them use the knife when exactly. they're old enough i'm no. not saying three-year-old <laughs> yeah, right right now i'm struggling because my 11 year old is old enough where he can mm -hmm. walk ride a bike and go yeah. out with um, friends and spend a couple hours having lunch walking around in a right. socially distant way right but we, <laughs> he doesn't have a phone yet so I'm like, ah, oh, freaking out a little bit. And um, I didn't have a phone and my parents, I would go on for hours and I'm like, <laughs> they, they never care. seem worried ever. <laughs> and, right, right. You know, it's like two hours go by, like his friends have phones and mm -hmm. I yeah. will, if I get really anxious, I'll, I'll text <laughs> his, his friend. His friend. Is, is he? And he's like, could you please not do that? But I was going to say, I challenge you to stop doing that ever. Right. Well, I, this, yeah. this is, this is the work and I have stopped. If you have a day where you don't, that's okay too. Uh, yeah, okay. no, so, so I'm wanna, getting, I, I am getting much better at it, but, but. But I want to give you an example of that for me. My, my, mm -hmm. um, my parents were very phobic of bicycles and they mm -hmm. think they're super, super dangerous. And mm -hmm. we never really rode bikes. We were not allowed to ride bikes. I don't know what 
the exact story I'm sure there was for that. Well, my uh, husband loves riding bikes, taught our kids to ride bikes early. Mm -hmm. When my children are on a bike, riding to Cabin John to go get yeah. um, ice cream with their friends, I have an image of them lying dead yes. on the ground, their brains splattered every, they have been hit there. That's until they come home. And so they come home mm -hmm. happy and sweaty with their helmet and taking their helmet off and they're, you know, they had a great old time until mm -hmm. I see them. I have this image of them that I have to tolerate. Mm -hmm. um, and I will not, and I refuse <laughs> to call and check up on them um, because right. they're fine. But, but bikes, um, but that's, I'm not gonna put that on them, right? I know, I, I always justify, well, it's not you kids, it's the other drivers. I trust you, <laughs> and that's mostly but, true, actually. But you don't want them to walk around feeling like the world's a dangerous place. Um, and, and if, unless them... you're in a war zone and it is right. a dangerous place. Um, thank and God right now. Survivor yeah. skills are really important and I definitely recognize that this is my own anxiety and I'm mm -hmm. working on it because yeah. Because you're a work in progress too. A work just in like progress. Me. Yes. So that's <laughs> that seems like a good place to end. Yeah, that felt like a nice little chord at the end, right? This has mm -hmm. been awesome. Thank yeah, you. so fun. <laughs> Thank you so much. So where do people like? So you have a website you want to throw out there? And you know, my website. Actually, I'm about to put my book on my website. It's not quite mm -hmm. there yet. So Toba Rubin is my name that you can look mm -hmm. at wisdom from the couch. You can look on um, Amazon and find my book and tobarubin.com is my website. I do give talks mm -hmm. and um, uh, webinars about all kinds of topics from thriving and rising, dealing with caregiving issues, even end of life issues, as well as um, parenting, etc. So uh, yeah, it's That's easy amazing. to find me. Um, any final thoughts, any dad jokes? Cause it's a dad, it's for dads. <laughs> Even though we didn't you know what? <laughs> I have to say this about dads, if I may. Mm -hmm. Dads have been so poorly misrepresented in the mm -hmm. media for so long. And I tell my kids this, we'll watch a show and the dad's incompetent yeah. and the mom's over-functioning. And I point it out every time and I say, please don't, you know, don't, don't accept that. And they, and so they recognize that stereotype mm -hmm. in all the shows, every show back from the honeymooners, remember Alice and Ralph to um, family guy, like all the shows, the Simpsons, mm -hmm. um, the mom's over-functioning that dad's a goofball idiot. And you know so what? Funny, there's though. so many, there's so many great dads. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It's not cool. No, there's I so know, many great, great dads out exactly. there doing awesome things. Um, I was walking, let me, mm -hmm. one more thing. No, I was walking uh, around my neighborhood, um, two mornings ago and I saw only dads. Mm -hmm. I didn't see one mom with the strollers and the babies. Um, and I was thinking what a different world it was yeah, from the, the world. The moms are working. They don't have time for that. Yeah, the dads are working too. Mm -hmm. But it's so nice, you know, to see dads as involved, you know, as moms. So way to go. I think dads have such an important role for both their sons and their daughters. We're going to, I'm going to have you back and we'll, we'll, this sounds like, you know, a topic that could, it deserves I'll, its own. Maybe podcast. I'll be a regular on your podcast. Oh, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> of course. Every, this was a blast. Thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Have a good day. And um, I'm going to let you and go yeah, back. Yeah, enjoy to the rest of this pandemic. Your clients. Read her <laughs> book. Right. It's an amazing book. Thank Wisdom you so from much. the couch. Have a great day. Thank you so Bye. much. Bye. And there you have it, everybody. Thank you so much. The first episode of the Authentic Dad podcast is in the books. Thank you again to Dr. Tova Rubin. You're amazing. I really appreciate your time. 
and you've listened to podcasts before, you know what to do. If you want to leave a review, if you want to tell somebody, I would greatly appreciate it because my goal is to uh, one day maybe get like a mattress company to sponsor this because I, f- I think I think you really make it in the podcasting world if either like stamps.com or a mattress company, that that really is the goal for this whole thing. So thank you all so much. We'll see you next time. Peace.